forget the whole come to the cafe. Come to the cafe. We have snacks. Uh, So we are taking a week off this week from the Ten Commandments because, as you can see, there's a lot of people right now serving the Cheshire community uh, by serving at the half marathon. Um, We continually want to be... We continually want to be coming to be becoming. Does that is that grammatically correct? No, help me out, Melanie. What was it? I don't. I have no idea. We, to continue to become a church that serves the community, a church that is a light in the community, a church that not only is just as a building here uh, and a website, but that we have a presence that people would get to know us by. Um, our community loving and serving people. And that's why we, you know, we're doing the Cheshire uh, Marathon today. We have people all over the town where they kind of stuck us. We have a prayer tent also. Um, and we were hoping that people would come and feel um, engaged enough to, uh, to be prayed for and, and uh, to be blessed in that way. We've already spoken to Ives Farm, which is a September event where we just kind of run their grill as a church, and we collect the money for them, and that's another way that we're just kind of getting out into, into the community and being part of the community, being a presence in the community, wanting to serve Cheshire. This is where God has put us, and so we want to uh, be and do all that we can be, all that we can do here in, in the town. And so because of that, I figured we would take um, this Sunday, and I'm just going to actually, I'm preaching out of the lectionary, and the lectionary is John 15 for this Sunday, John 15, 1 through 11, so we'll be preaching through that. Uh, but next week, I, I, I thought it was very important um, because the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is keep holy the Sabbath. And I think we all need to hear that message of Sabbath rest and what, it, and what, what the Scripture talks about when, in the context of keeping the Sabbath, maintaining the Sabbath, keeping it holy, um, and so this week, John 15, next week we pick up on commandment number four. So, John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's a very popular set of verses for those who have been kicking the tires on the Bible for a while. In the scripture, it talks about this idea of vine and branches and and fruits 
a lot than just John 15. In fact, it goes, it's, it's a theme that runs through the Old Testament. Israel itself was considered to be God's vine, the Lord's vine. Isaiah chapter 5, it says that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And so the grapevine for Israel was considered to be a national symbol of life. They, would, they, they had it through their history uh, back in the Maccabean times. They had it on their coins, this grapevine. And they also had it coming into the temple. The temple was adorned at one of the main gates with this huge grapevine and grapes made of gold. And it may be in this very spot as Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry where he sees this, this symbol of national life. He begins to speak these words. In John 15, this is the seventh of his I am statements, the final one. He said, I am the true vine. I wonder what the disciples were thinking at this point. Things have been intense for a long time for them. Things are coming to an end. They know that Israel was supposed to produce fruit. All the way back to the day of Abraham, the people of Israel were going to be a blessing to the entire world. And now Jesus is saying, everything that's been spoken through the years, I am the fulfillment of it all. I am the true vine. Now for the Christian, for the church, the parable runs very deep with meaning and it's, it's just filled with sacredness. And to understand, Jesus is using this, this, this symbol that would have been very prominent, grapevines and, and branches. And, and you have to think that what runs through the vine runs into the branches and produces the fruit. And for the same thing, it's the same thing for us, that whatever runs through Christ, when we stay connected to him, the very thing that runs through him runs through us. The same power. The same life that he has, we too can have. And the father, he is the gardener, and he is the one who cares for it all. The gardener cares for the vines and for the branches so that there will be fruit, so that there are grapes. It's the reason why vineyards are vineyards, to produce fruits. It's why you grow grapes, to get grapes. And so Jesus is teaching that as followers of him, we, the church, are supposed to bear fruits. We have a purpose in our lives. We follow Jesus for consequences. We follow Jesus for purpose. While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so to be even more fruitful. Now, it's very similar, or very familiar to many people that um, if we don't produce this fruit thing, that it seems that we're kind of cut off from God or we're kind of, we kind of wither away. We're not connected to the branches. But, you know, what I find is when we talk about this whole idea of fruit, many people go right to 
this, the, the, the actions of our lives. And, and, they, and it's like, well, bearing fruit, is that like an evangelistic thing? Like, how many people have I led to Jesus? That's the fruit. Or what are, what are, the, uh, what are the numbers of my ministry? How am I doing in ministry? Am I successful? Am I teaching a lot of people? How many people uh, am I influencing? Many times we take this idea of fruit and we want some very easy, measurable outcome that we can say, ha-ha, here is my fruit. I am connected to the vine. But I believe if we think in that manner, we begin to water down the words of Jesus. We begin to miss his point. We're just a very action-oriented culture. We need outcomes, measurable outcomes. We need smart goals that we can measure and, and, and understand. But these verses aren't about stuff and action and doing. These verses are about, they're about our reproduction of who Jesus is. Jesus is looking for fruit in our lives. And in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of what? Of who? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit, singular. It's a package deal. You don't say fruits salad. You say fruit salad. It's everything in there. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And, and these qualities have to be present in the believer. Not perfect. Not, we're not talking about living in perfection because we all know that some of you may just fall a little short of that. But that's okay. We still love you anyway. We're talking about that these are present in the lives of a believer. That if they are not, we need to take a long look at ourselves and ask, are we connected to Jesus? Or somehow have we fallen from the vine? See, the life of the vine is always present in the life of the branches, or the branches will die and will not bear fruit. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, then Jesus' life must be flowing through us. If we are connected to him, his life is flowing through us. And what that means is, very simply, that we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to love like Jesus and, and walk in kindness and joy and patience like Christ did. There is Christ-likeness in us. When what pulses through Christ pulses through us, then we know that we are connected to the vine. See, it's very possible, unfortunately, to be action-oriented in the church and in Christianity, to have measurable outcomes and yet not be connected to Christ. You can be influential. You can know chapter and verse and yet still not be connected to Christ. The inward grace of the Holy Spirit, when it's there, it will begin to produce those actions those, those, the, the, the outside, the outward expression of what love is and what joy is and what peace and patience. But it has to be present in us first. 
those inward graces of the Holy Spirit will produce external fruits when they're within us. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruits, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Someone told me once that there's this wine trail in Connecticut. And, and you, and you kind of bounce through and, and you get a t-shirt or a mug or something like that. I don't know, when you, when you, hit, all the, when you hit all the vineyards. Um, but you can drive around and you can see these vineyards, especially Litchfield County up in that area. And I think there's one in Wall, Wallingford. Um, but when you look at the vineyard in the wintertime, it doesn't look like much. Like the, the, the vines and the branches are all brown and gray and, and the, you have the... The, the trellises or whatever the, uh, the vines kind of grow on and wrap around. And it's really not much to look at. But then in the summertime, in the summertime, leaves start to grow. Green leaves start to grow. And whatever kind of grape is there, whether it be a white grape or a red grape, they start to grow. But what's interesting, as I was kind of flipping through and researching this week, is, is uh, the health of the vineyard is in direct proportion to how the gardener prunes the vines. A grapevine or a vineyard will never produce what it could. It will never come to its fullest potential unless, unless it is pruned. I learned this week that there are multiple steps to the pruning system. There is this thing called pinching. And you pinch the little shoots off so you actually slow down the growth of the vine. There's something called topping where you take larger sections of branches off to make sure that what looks like is going to produce fruit gets most of the nutrients. There's another thing called, <laughs> it's, it, it's called, oh, wait, I get to the one that made me laugh. But there's one that's called thinning. And they, and they take, they take, what, what is going to produce the grapes, and they don't allow so many grapes to be produced, so they thin what's going to be um, actual fruits to make sure that what is produced is healthy and full of juice. And then my favorite is you, there's a cutting away of the suckers. <laughs> and, and, and what that is, some of these branches are never going to produce fruit just because of where they're growing, how they're growing. And so the gardener comes in and cuts those off to make sure that they don't take the nutrients that the rest of the vine, the branches, and the grapes should be getting. The gardener has to go through all of these process in order to hopefully produce grapes in the vineyard. Healthy vine, healthy branches, healthy grapes. And it all takes, it all takes place during the fall and the winter. So by the time the growing season starts, you get the best possible outcome. And I wonder, Jesus must be thinking through this as he's kind of laying out this whole analogy or the symbolism. It's, it's a very uh, common thing back then to see vineyards and, and grapes growing. And sometimes when, when I was looking at the pictures, it can look very wasteful because they, you know, this whole idea of what do they call it? Topping. They're taking large sections of grapevine off. 
And it looks like, wow, why would they do that? And they're just kind of throwing these things away. And it looks mean, and it looks just like, well, it just doesn't seem. And they, and they cut it back to it looks ugly. But the process of pruning helps guarantee that the vines and the branches will produce good fruit. And that process of pruning is also what takes place in our lives, that God would ensure that we produce fruit. And through my experience, I can say that the one main ingredient in the pruning of God to the believer is pain. When God gets out the scissors, it's painful. It can feel like affliction. Look at the the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. You know, there are times in our lives where that pruning and that affliction and that pain comes because God is correcting sin. And in that love, it hurts when he brings us back, when he, when he gathers us back. But sometimes, sometimes we, are, we go through these periods of pain and hurt and brokenness and affliction because God sees that you're bearing fruits. You're doing well. And God says, you're doing so well that I need to cut some more things out of your life. And it's painful and it hurts. But he does it so that we bear even more fruits. That we would love more, be patient more, graceful, kind, obedience. That we would be, that we would be his son here on earth. And whatever the reason, whatever, whether it's correcting sin or whether it's you're doing well and God just needs to prune back some stuff so you can be even more for his kingdom. Whatever it is, we don't like it. And I bet that we would rather not have it happen. No one wants to come under the knife, especially the knife of the Lord. And we naturally want to escape it. But the pruning of God our Father in our lives is both beneficial to us and it's beneficial to his kingdom. It's for his name's sake. You know, I think we get down on ourselves as as Christians and, and, and we always think that if I can just, then it will be better. Like, like, if I can just mature in my faith, then I won't fall to, to this or that or this sin. Or if I, can, if I can just get married, then I won't be tempted by this and that and the other thing. And if I, if, I could just, if I can just retire, then my life will be so much easier if I don't have to work. That one I might agree with. But anyway, but, but, <laughs> but if, if, if I only can do this, then, then these trials and these things won't come. It's just not true. See, here's the reality. The only way that affliction, pain, and brokenness is going to stop in our lives, well, I guess there's two ways. The first way is God calls us home, and then it's over. But the next way is if it no longer becomes beneficial to us. 
if the pain and the brokenness and the afflictions that we go through, the pruning of God is no longer beneficial to us, then it will stop. And so I'm not going to even charge you for this little bit of advice. It's never going to stop. We are going to struggle. We are going to press, be pressed. We are going to work hard and fail. And the whole time the Lord can be using those things to prune away all of the junk that's in us that is not like his son, to allow what is in us to grow into his son. You know, the interesting thing about this whole pruning is um, we can't do it to ourselves. I mean, we, we think we can try, you, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get up every morning at six and I'm going to read the Bible because, and, and then I'm going to, and, and then I'm, we can't, we don't prune ourselves, even if we think we can. We, we, we can't do it. The grapevine doesn't prune itself. It doesn't look and go, ha ha, you're not pr- uh, producing fruit, Mr. Branch. You're out. The gardener comes and looks, evaluates, and cuts where needs to be cut. Even if we could prune ourselves, even if we could do what, what only God can do, we would not do it where we needed it the most. Because sometimes we cannot see what needs to go. We're blind to our own shortcomings. And God steps in and goes, Ha ha, I love you so much. Schwa, snip. Ouch. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy when you're up against the wall. You know, the, the process of pruning can't be done from a distance. It's a very up-close, intimate, and personal procedure. God's hand is never closer to us than when he is pruning back what needs to go in our life. In those deepest, the most painful cuts, those moments where we feel like he has forsaken us and he has abandoned us. He's just given us over to the brokenness of this world. It's in those moments that he is the closest and he is at work. He is the true vine. We are the branches. There will always be pain to this process of pruning. The more we are pruned, the more we will have Christ in our lives. The vine, the vines, the branches, the vineyard is to produce grapes. And grapes are for the benefit of the gardener. We are in Christ that we may produce fruits so that we can give it away to others. Grapes don't eat grapes. Grapes don't drink wine. It's for others. God wants us to produce fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so that we can be Christ to those who don't know him. 
that we could be Christ to others. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, the whole idea of abiding, doesn't, it's not really spelled out for us. It doesn't give us particulars here. So we have to press into these verses. And I was kind of thinking, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? And I guess we can, again, we can go to the whole, you know, we spend time in prayer, we spend time in the Word, we spend time studying the Word, we spend time in community. But there are all these outward things of, of abiding. And, and, and I just, I want to, you know, if, if, if the fruit is about the inward reality of Christ in us, and, and then this whole abiding thing has to be, okay, not has to be, for me, it's, it's about being aware and knowing and walking in the authority that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is alive and well within us, pulses through our veins. We begin to recognize we have been given power. We have been given authority. Abiding is knowing without a doubt we have the Spirit of God in us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit points us to the things of Jesus, reminds us of the things of Jesus, teaches us the things of Jesus. All the external stuff has to start with the internal reality of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this whole idea of abiding, we have to begin to understand and really believe that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Which, which is a little bit of a tension for me because the reality of it is, apart from Jesus, we can actually do a lot of things. I know many people who do not go to church, do not believe in God, do not even, don't even care about the things of God, and they're very successful in the world. They have a good job. They make good money. They're influential. They, they, they can teach. They can speak well. I know musicians that are very talented. I've seen artists that, that can just do amazing works of art in all kinds of genres. And they're, nothing, they're not connected to Christ at all. So what's he talking about? Wait, if you're not connected, if you don't abide in me, you can't, you can't do anything? There's something... There's a fruit that only the believer that can produce that has eternal consequence. Christian, your life matters. And as you stay connected to Christ, every word you speak, every action you take matters. And it can have eternal consequence. It's only the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit that can bring a person, illuminate Christ before their eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only the Spirit can that would lead that person to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That's, that's eternal consequences to our words and our actions. That can only come when we stay, abide in Christ. Apart from him, nothing we do is eternal. Well, it is eternal, but it'll be burned away. Without Christ, it's like, it's like 
It's like hanging ornaments on a Christmas tree, just kind of decorating your life. But in Christ, there's something transformed in the inward person. And we begin to see eternal things being produced. You can't live like Christ without Christ. (laughs) And you know what, it kind of frustrated me when I came to this realization. You can't live like Christ without Christ. We can't live like Christ unless, unless the gardener comes in and begins to cut away those things that aren't like Christ, those things that don't bear fruit, those things, that, you know, the, the things, the, the suckers that are going to just draw the life out of us. The pinching so we don't grow too fast and become full of ourselves. And so it's the very reason God doesn't shield any one of us from the painful realities that we experience in this world. I wish I could say that being a Christian means my life, my life is nothing but bonbons on the top of a mountain with rainbows, glitter, and unicorns. That would be awesome. That we are shielded from evil and harm and hurtful things. Because those things in our life, God will use to prune us, to, to create in us Jesus, that we would bear much fruit for his name and for his kingdom. We have to be very deliberate to depend on Christ. We have to be very deliberate to abide in Christ. And when we abide in him, and we walk with him, then we stay for the pruning. Because knowing no matter how painful it is, no matter how hurtful it feels, it's good for us. It will come. There's just no doubt about it. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The promise of Jesus, remain in me, remain in my love and you will be loved and you will know how to love. Remain in me and your prayer life will take on whole new meaning. You will have a powerful prayer life. Ask God whatever you want. And I love the way that we water this down in the church. Well, Jesus said, he said, ask, where is it? Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you as long as it's according to the will of God. We, we, we put that caveat on there because sometimes it feels like prayer goes unanswered. But maybe 
Maybe it's about us not abiding fully in Christ. There's no caveat there. There's, there's no if you get it together. There's no if you and what about. And Jesus said, abide in me. I will abide in you. Ask the Father whatever you want. Now, of course, there are things that we cannot ask for that is outside the character and the nature of who God is. But what if our answers to prayer don't come because we have forgotten who we are? We have forgotten that the power of the Holy Spirit is within us. We have watered down our faith. We've let the enemy take control. We've said, okay. And we've tried to intellectualize faith. See, faith doesn't make sense. Not on paper. By keeping his commands, we abide in his love. He tells us these things not to shortchange us. He tells us these things so not that we're worried that God is going to get a hold of us and start cutting and slicing. Listen, there's always pain in the pruning process, but there's never harm. There's always pain when we're God has got a hold of us and moving us and, and pruning us and cutting those things away. But he doesn't do it to harm us. He does it for our good that we can know and have the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And he tells us these things. It's going to happen. This is the way it plays out so that our joy, our joy may be complete. His joy in the relationship that he has with his father is our joy. Peter called it an unspeakable joy filled with glory. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. He loves us. He loves us right where we are in this very moment. But he loves us so much that he's not going to let us stay here. And he's going to cut and snip and pinch and cut so that we grow into healthy disciples of his son, that we look like his son. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've caused this word to be written. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the pruning process. Thank you that your promise is when we remain in you, you remain in us. Thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for grace, love, and mercy. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you that you've empowered your church to be light and a presence. We praise you. We gather in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Next week we will continue in our series of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.